Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to tournament poker strategy. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Fez Buddy and Killing Bird. Everyone, welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. As always, I'm Killing Bird here with co-host Ron Fezbuddy. How you doing, man? I am good, my friend. Hold on one second. Hold on one second. Let me step back and bow to your greatness. <laughs> Mr. KB is people. Mr. KB is crushing tournaments this month. Crushing. I'll take I'll take the bow because uh, next month. I'll probably be complaining about the terrible downswing that I'm on. So while it lasts, I will gladly accept the bow. Thank you, thank you. Ah, uh, good job, my man. Good job. Congratulations. Glad to see you. You're crushing. Uh, you've been working hard, so it's good to see. Thanks, man. Yeah, things have been have been going well. Um, you know, all the hard work paying off. Had bunch of a uh, bunch of deep runs and f- like I think five or six final tables so far in the new year. Uh, two 10k guaranteeds on AP. And a final table in the 70K on stars. Yep. And then uh, two 50-50 final tables, a second place and a third place. The second place was just last night for like 3,700. So, um, wow. Yeah, things have been going good. I am going to ride the wave as long as I possibly can. That's my Yeah, goal. and I, I want to say like, hey, congrats for being on the right side of variance. But I know that you've been wor- I know that you've been opening up your game. So I know there's – it's not just variance. Obviously, there's a little bit of variance. And I, I know you would sure. agree with that. Um but I do know that you've definitely been working on changing your game. I could see it just from, from watching you play. So nice job, man. Good to hear Thanks. Good to- yeah, it's nice. You know, the, uh, the the money and the winning and stuff is obviously really cool, but the, I think the best part is just, like you said, just to finally see hard work paying off. You know, you feel like you, you spend so much time trying to get better and trying to improve, and, and sometimes you just feel like, well, am I even doing, you know, am I even, like, doing things right? Like, am I... Am I getting better, or am yeah. I just staying the same or getting worse? Like, I don't know. So when it finally starts to pay off, it's uh, it's definitely a nice feeling. So thanks for that. And yeah. uh, how about you? How things been? Uh, how things been going for you? Oh, I'm downswinging. <laughs> I'm the opposite. <laughs> I'm the exact opposite. I, I think literally I'm the exact opposite of you. Um, last podcast, I think I shipped the um, the 18k. Um, I don't think I've I don't think I've cashed since. <laughs> 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 no, it's uh, yeah, it's it's obviously it hasn't been that bad, but it's been pretty bad. Um, you know, it, it's tricky because, uh, you know, downswings—they're kind of a blessing in disguise because what downswings force me to do is work harder. Um, I am way too, I'm just I'm guilty, and I mean I know like you guys probably listen to the podcast, you see you see me on the forums and stuff, and you know you think I'm immersed in poker, and I am. But I'm in, immersed in a lot of working on TPE and then just opening up tables and playing. And I, I probably do a lot less studying than I than I should do. And thinking about, I mean, I think about the game a lot, but I just don't put in. A, I think in my in my estimation enough work um, on the game. So downswings kind of force you to doubt yourself. And if you're serious, you will eventually lead to working. So I've I've actually taken the week off. Um, I'm gonna. I'm just studying. I'm just. I'm watching videos. I'm doing math work. I'm actually. I'm doing some work on on um, on uh, squeeze math because I don't feel like I can quantify it right now. Right. Um, and so I feel like it's an area of opportunity 
where there's probably not enough people doing it right. So um, putting together some math and hopefully put it in the, the TPE EV calc spreadsheet that members get um, eventually when I get it to a point where I think everyone feels like it's it's right. But um, but yeah, so you know I'm just kind of going on and and I'm gonna study a little bit and I'm gonna play less tables too because I think I, I just you know, I just try to load up the tables, and when you're upswinging, it's great, but when you're, you're downswinging, it, it, it compounds things. So I, I just want to, I want to folk, I want to think more is basically what it comes down to. I feel like I'm a little too automatic, robotic, um, couple hands where I just don't think I thought through enough. Um, I brought one for later, uh, you know, and I just feel like there, there's opportunity to just become a, a better thinking player. Yeah. And, you know, like I know you mentioned you're going to watch some videos and, and work on the math stuff. Is there other stuff that you do? You know, when you're in this study mode. Yeah. Um, I'm reading the winning poker tournaments to one hands at a time, volume two, with okay. uh, it's Ape Styles, Visit, and Pearl Jammer. So I'm reading that book, going over hand histories of my own, and try, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to post anything that is interesting or things I didn't think I didn't do right. Um, and I just recently did a hand history review with Ween that um, – we actually recorded for the site. It's actually just went live today. Um, we're recording this on the 8th um, and the first version. Actually, it went live yesterday, the first episode. So I'm getting a little bit of, you know, hand history coaching as well. Nice. Um, and just, you know, generally talking to, you know, try, trying to talk poker with people. I mean, that's more of a while I'm playing thing, you know, just kind of, you know, keep poker friends um, in the loop and stuff and just keep them, keep, keep the conversation going. But for studying purposes, I'm going to, do the things I just mentioned. What about you? What do you do when you're uh, when you're working on your game? I think I think I'm kind of like you in that I tend to to be able to, to focus a little bit more, a little bit more on it in the moment. So like I spend a lot of time in the TPE chat room at night, especially when I get down to my last four or five tables, and and I'll post stuff in there. Or you know so, sometimes members will be railing, and I'll just say, oh, what do you guys think of that? Like was that terrible? Or um, so I tend to get more of my feedback that way, although. You know, I, I kind of made this resolution to post more in the strategy forums, and I, I find myself not doing it because the interesting hands I, I posted in the chat that night. So I think I have to yeah. get better about not only posting them there, but then taking that and just bumping it over to the forums so that guys who aren't up at 4 in the morning like us yeah. um, you know, get a chance to see it and, and give some feedback. And, and I'll You know it. where my forum hands come from when I do hand history reviews of myself, not from live play usually? Because during live play, it's just so much easier to, to, to send it to some people that you're talking to at the moment and get their opinion. Um, right. But when you do a hand history review of your own, you, know, you just kind of go through last night's deep run. And then you're like, you know, when you're wa- watching a hand where at the moment you were eight tabling um, and you really didn't think about it, but when you're focused on it, you have questions about it. That's where I, I find I find good um, forum hands to post. So, yeah. Sort of. The other thing that I, I really want to do, and I almost did it last night, but I want to uh, I want to fire up the recorder again when I get deep because I figure it's about time for another Killing Birds Ticket to the Man series. Ooh. Um, yeah, let's so see. Yeah, I, I feel like my game has gotten a little better, so I won't get abused quite as bad. Um, <laughs> so so I really want to do that, and, and it's a, you know it'll be a good contrast because. That original Ticket to the Man that I did was recorded right around the time we launched the site. It could have even been yeah. days before it launched. So obviously a lot has changed that, since then in my game. Yeah. Um, so I really want to kind of get – I want to be able to A-B you know, that tournament versus something new. And, yeah. and the only reason I didn't fire it up last night was because it was the Turbo 50. And, and I think 
it was it could have been over very quickly or yeah. you know, it could have been five or ten minutes. Or, no, it's or, better when you get a couple stacks and like two or three things and then you fire it up. Yeah, and I, I want to have a couple of tables. Yeah. Um, so that there's not a lot of dead action and stuff. So I, I'm anxious to do that because I think that'll be really good, really yep. good feedback for well, me. Well, we know so. one thing is true. All that lobby checking has paid off, man. Really, That's right. really, really great job with all that. I mean, I know you've been checking the lobby for a long time and you've been working on checking the lobby. And, and I'm glad to see that it's probably paying off. Yeah, it, it's nice when you can check the lobby and see that there's only five people left instead of 55. <laughs> Why are you checking the lobby for that information? <laughs> hey, when you're when you're a habitual lobby checker like me, you just keep checking no matter what yeah. happens. Now, my bottom line is that I need to think more when I'm playing. Like, I, I just I feel like I have to become a better thinker street by street, and I think I've played too many tables. Um, and I'm a little robotic, and the leaks are compounded because of that. Um, like I, I, I think of players like you know when I when I go read like some of our forum posts, and I see how some of the pros or even some of our best members, you know, our, our most successful members, think about hands. Or you go to two plus two, and you know, guys, you know, there's guys there. Like I, I just like really love when someone like Smoke Rock Flock posts because he posts, he you can see he thinks about hands very intelligently, and like you when. You know, you see like Noah SD talk about a hand, like they're talking about all the combinations that the person could have up to this point um, right. based on the way they play it. And then you could make your action based on that. And I, I just feel like I need to think, think of that more. Like I actually opened up like my last session, I opened up a spreadsheet, not a spreadsheet, sorry, a, a notepad. And like I actually like wrote down the hands I think this guy can have like on the flop. And then um, then I tried to, you know, reduce that on the turn. That when we got to the river, um, I had a you know an estimation, and it ended up with him folding to my bet. So yeah, I think I mean I think I was right about his range, but yeah, I don't know exactly what he had. But like just you know think about it. There's what are the elements of a poker hand, right? It's 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 the bets, it's the positions, and it's the cards. And you know you can make assumptions on the cards based on those other things. So if you can figure out the combinations and you know what beats you, what doesn't beat you, and what percentage. Um, you know, your, what percentage of hands beat you and then you can make your, you know, your bets or your calls appropriately. So I just need to do a little bit more thinking as opposed to automatic work. And I, I think that's going to come from just dropping some tables and working on the game after I do the study period. So. Yeah. Well, that's my now deal. that, uh, now that the big double guarantee multi entry week is over, it'll be slightly easier yeah. to, uh, <laughs> to, to God. bring your table count down a little bit. Man, that was a, pa- yeah. <laughs> a painful week. There's nothing worse than downswinging during that time, too, right? That's yeah, jeez. It's like, uh, God. Yeah, I, you know, I think those tournaments are, um, are, are bad for poker. Um, I think in general, uh, if you have the best players getting the ability to play as many, um, or not as many, but many iterations of a tournament, it just makes the the, the expectation happen faster. Right. I, I think this is kind of the general consensus. So, like, you know, in the nightly 100K, well, I guess the nightly 75K, the $162 tournament, like, if the best players can get four shots at that, the average to to bad players have absolutely no chance in the long run to, to do anything there. So I think they're bad for the poker economy. And I think at all stakes that kind of can happen. You know, the, the better players at each stake can, you know, really get hurt. Now, I love them for the, the – they've kept it past the week on the $26 uh, 10 p.m. 
28K on FTP. Right. And I love it for that because I feel like I have an edge in that tournament. I do really well in it. Um, and it allows me to sort of focus, um, you know, focus my, my play in games that I think I have more expectations. So I don't have to fill up with a, a 75 and a 109 just to get tables, right? I could just play all these 26s and I'm happy. I get to play my, my session and it's in stuff that I have a positive expectation in. Um, so I like that. I think that's pretty cool. Um, so I'm happy that, you know, so if they keep it in like small doses like that, I think it, it could be decent. But in the long run, I, if they try to expand it to everything, I think it would really hurt the poker economy. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I like, you and I talked about this off the air, so to speak, and we love that 28K because it's perfect for our time, you know, the time that we normally play poker. Yeah. Um, so if they, if they just keep that one in there, I'll be perfectly happy. Yep, that's all I need, just that one. Then you got that, you got the uh, the 10 rebuy, you got the 50-50, you got the 70K. I mean, you can start at 930 and get a, you know an eight-table session in pretty easily. Yeah, and that's that's a decent you know session. So they just need to stop doing it for midnight madness because I can never resist nah. four times regging for that thing at midnight and then having one table left at four. No, I. Uh. Hey, hey, KB, that's stupid. <laughs> I know. I'm just gonna tell you right now, that's stupid. Don't do that. <laughs> I don't. I don't know what gets into me. If you're on the East Coast and you're forexing the uh, the midnight madness, you are dumb. <laughs> I feel so awake at midnight, and then at 2.30, yeah. I'm going, what did I get myself into? I actually two-bulleted it um, just because, like, I was, like, in a couple of things, and then I busted those other things quickly, and so I had two bullets going on in that, and I was just, like, like at 1.15, I was just in those two, and I wanted to kill myself. I, I And I was like, I'm going to practice four betting. Right. <laughs> so I was gone by two, so. You know, I'm really bad at punting, too. Like, I, I, yeah, sometimes yeah. I'll tell myself, like, I'm just going to punt this and either get a huge stack or not, but then all of a sudden I just find myself going, ah, I can't call here, <laughs> or I can't shove here. <laughs> so, yeah, maybe I just need to get better at punting my stack. Yeah, like, there you go. <laughs> um, so, uh, I guess we should probably move on to strategy. What are we going to, uh, what are we going to talk about with our pros today? Um, today we are going to talk about, uh, we're gonna. We're, we've been so far talking about the early stages of tournaments, right? A lot of topics around deep stack or tournament poker, uh, early stage tournament poker. We are going to move into the mid stages of a tournament by starting with the early ante period. So uh, the 125-250 level, the 150-300 level. Um, on FTP, the 120, 240 level, you know, those, those levels that, that where, and, and, and in, in each of those levels, there's a small ante. So in like the, the 125, 250, I think it's a 25 ante. So in each of these, um, in all these tournaments, there's, you know, that, that's, 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 that's the first time antes are introduced. And it's the place where a lot of pros start to shift gears. And I know I've seen our pros talk about this in videos, and I think it's just, you know, logical and makes sense. So we're going to move into that, um, that, that, that segment of tournament play, um, and we got a bunch of hands from around that time. Yep, it's going to be good, and we, uh, we got Big Dog and T-Twist coming in to, uh, to chat about that with us. So yep. we will take a quick break, and we'll be right back with those guys on the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. Tears. This is Casey Big Dog Pocket 5's Jarzebeck from TournamentPokerEdge.com. If you've been looking for a trading site dedicated exclusively to tournament poker, then look no further. 
Tournament Poker Edge is only $23.95 per month, with no initial sign-up fee, and we post a new training video every weekday. You also find poker-related articles, blogs, and very active strategy forums. We even offer you the ability to upload your own video for others to discuss. So head on over to TournamentPokerEdge.com and find out why it's quickly becoming the destination for tournament poker players looking to take their game to the next level. TournamentPokerEdge.com Hey everybody, welcome back to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. Time to bring in the pros for the week. Casey Big Dog Pocket Fives, Jarzebeck, Tim T. Twist Kelly. What's up guys? What up? <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us today. Hey I know it's a little early. Yes, yeah. it's the noon, noon, which is the 8 a.m. for poker players. Crack of noon. Pretty happy about this. <laughs> Well, we, uh, we promise to make it as painless as possible. Even the roosters are sleeping. <laughs> well, it's, speaking of uh, the poker uh, lifestyle and, and living large, Casey, congratulations on being named to AP as a AP pro. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Happy to finally so, get a deal done. Yeah, yeah. One of the, uh, the big name players that was remaining. So great, great for you. So what does that mean now that you are an AP pro? What, is, what does that mean for Big Dog? Um, actually, it doesn't really change much. I mean, uh, what the one thing it probably will mean is it will force me to get out there and play live a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So that's what my goal was this year anyway, so that really steers me in the right direction that way. But other than that, it probably won't change my schedule much or uh, change anything at all. Right, because you were probably playing most of the high-stakes stuff there already, right? Didn't really Correct. change. Yeah, yeah right. it's not gonna. It's probably not gonna change my online schedule much at all. If anything, um, I may play a little bit more smaller stuff on there because just to be seen. Um, they've asked me to to get in some little tournaments here and there that uh, are promotional wise. Um, they have like a three K guarantee, knock out the pros tourney and stuff like that. But other than that, it's not gonna really change much. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Definitely. Congratulations. It's yep. Awesome. That's from TPE Nation. Yeah. Hey, we're about to go back to bed now? <laughs> <laughs> Almost. No, we got you from five to eight hands. That was the agreement. <laughs> That's where you add that applause. Um. Yeah. <laughs> oh, don't – you know he will. Watch. I That's him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you don't have to encourage him. He loves to add the applause. <laughs> go ahead. I'll break and, that and out. Twist, how are you? How you been? I'm doing, I'm doing well. Um, cool. Can't complain. Um, just dealing with uh, massive amounts of snowfall at this point, and every morning I wake up, the snowplow has added a, another foot to the end of my driveway. <laughs> Tired of that. Um, I mean, I, I'm probably I don't lead the league in laziness because that's obviously a Jarzebek thing, but I'm a close second, and uh, so it, it hurts my feelings. I actually did get out there and shovel a couple times this year, but like I can't I can't lean on the heart attack too much. But you know, I'm like, oh, a lot of people die shoveling snow. You know? <laughs> I I can't believe the amount of snow we've had this year. It's, like, absurd. Literally, we are having penguins walk by now. (laughs) It was a joke before, but now for real. Yeah. Uh, Well, speaking of being snowed in, I guess that's a good segue into our our main topic uh, or one of our topics for today. Today we're going to talk about, um, from a hands and and strategy perspective, we're going to talk about early anti-period. But before we uh, do that, um, we want to talk about maybe doing some studying or just, you know, away from the table, what we do. 
to become better poker players. And, and Derek and I talked about this a little bit um, in the segment before you guys jumped on. Uh, but just curious, you know, from 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 a couple of pros, um, you know, what are you guys doing? Are you guys studying? Are you guys doing hand history reviews? Or are you, you know, do you have a group of poker friends? What do the pros do when they want to put some work into their game? I guess, uh, Casey, if you can go first. Well, personally, I have um, a group of guys, um, pretty well-known MTT regs, that uh, basically on a daily basis they get into a chat room on um, AIM, and as we go through the day playing, um, if there's any interesting hands that have been played out, they just copy and paste them into the chat box, and then we all just have at it and discuss it. Or um, I will talk to T-Twist. He lives pretty close to me, and we discuss hands quite often. So my suggestion is the best thing to study, and the way that I got better is just to uh, talk to your poker friends. Yeah. Tim, do you, t- are you do you have a similar thing, or do you do something Oh, yeah. Different? My thing is, you know, just try not to make yourself like a poker island. Um, there's so many resources out there now to, to better your game, obviously, with training sites and friends and, and yada, yada. I, I get a lot of my training by association, like uh, Big Dog mentioned. We're, we're friends, so I'm at his house a couple times a week, and... So all, all of the uh, the high stakes uh, MTT regs that he chats with, I kind of I'm allowed to put my ear in on it, and I don't really weigh too much of my uh, two cents because it's it's pretty much pointless with that group. But on the other side of it, um, the low stakes side, I have a, a a group of friends that uh, we like to get together a couple times a week as well around my house, and uh, we'll we'll session it up, and uh, you know anyone has a problem with a hand after it's over, we'll chat it up and and go over how they approach the hand and. That's pretty much it. But the thing is, like I said, don't make yourself a poker island because uh, use your resources. Yeah, and that's what's great about the training sites. I mean, obviously we're a little biased since we run one, but I, what I've noticed from our, you know, the, our subscribers is that aside from the videos, which you know you guys make great videos and they love that, they love coming into the chat room. Um, there's usually about 20 players in there, and as hands are done, and there's someone who has a question about a hand, they're post it right in the right in the room and click a link and take a look at it and then there's a good discussion around it and i i think what you said tim about not being a poker island is actually a great way to describe it because i think a lot of people were at what you know before they joined or i know myself before i joined um a, a group of players that were talking poker regularly it, you are an island and you don't know all you know is what you read and what you read you don't necessarily translate into how you play so there's no one you know giving you a differing point of uh, of view in real time um and that that group of people is just invaluable so i i agree i that's that's how i think i became a better player as well that is a great analogy tim yeah, it really is. Well, the thing really is, is, the thing is, is like, and, and I think, and I've said this to Casey before, like four or five years ago when I first met Casey, I thought I could play poker. Uh, yeah. Within the first half hour of of uh, sitting down with Casey and basically over his shoulder stuff, watching him go, I was like, wow, I had no clue how to play poker. Yeah. <laughs> and then I kind, I'm getting that now with some of my low stakes friends who are starting to get into it because what has Casey has taught me? Uh, I mean, we talk poker. They come over to my house. They kind of see what I do. And then they're like, oh, my God, there's a lot I need to know and need to work on. And I'm just fortunate that I've, you know, I'm I am able to be with the right people. Just uh, timing and lucky, I guess. 
But you see it from <clears throat> the more amateur players that join the site. They'll post a hand where they have like ace queen in the in the small blind and fifteen big blinds, and like someone shoves from the button, and they're like, "I don't know, he could have kings." You know, like you, you, to us, it's mind boggling to 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 think that way. But until you talk to people who have a differing way of thinking, you're just stuck with that that way of thinking, and you will never know because yeah, because that's clearly a snaffle yourself. in my books. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, not accounting for you being the biggest nit that I know. <laughs> yeah, 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 I, th- you know, I think to Diego's to Diego's point, I really think the chat room is is probably the most underutilized tool. You know, as many people as are in there, I think that could be utilized more. I think not to mention, I mean, there's a there's a pro in there almost on a nightly basis. Almost, yeah. Every- there's always somebody in there. Always so, somebody. I mean, you you have someone that also has a, a, a kind of a reputation as being on a different level in those rooms all the time too to offer their opinion uh that's the best way to learn i mean uh, I always, i've mentioned there. that on a lot of my videos i'm like you guys should come to the chat room because it yeah. really is a, a underused tool by a lot of our members the advanced members are in there too like the people who are really getting better are using that tool so you have i mean even if a pro is not present at that very moment you have like five or six regulars in there that are kind of crushing it right now too so you know it's just a good community so anyway okay so we're taking away from this that that you want to get into a community for sure it's going a good way to study absolutely and the other thing is with the chat room on tpe casey every now and then has the audacity to post his, his two cards while he's in the middle of the hand so you might you might be able to catch that too. So <laughs> I decided to let everyone know I have queen queen here. That was a good one, Case. <laughs> I think Panda was doing that last night, but he kept lying. He was telling the wrong hands. I think he he thought he he was thinking maybe somebody was feeding information, so he was he was feeding misinformation. Well, I actually stopped doing that because uh, that one time I said to the guys, "I'm going to shove here. I have Ace King," and I shoved. The guy was in the chat room. <laughs> Who, oh yeah, I never, I didn't hear about that. And he uh, called with Kings, and I ended up beating him, and I sent him his buy-in back because I felt so bad. Oh, I remember that because <laughs> it was a stone cold bubble. It was like eighteen people played, and he got nineteenth. Yeah, uh, I do remember the sending him his buy-in back story, but that—that's the story there. That's classic. yeah, he was in the chat room. Yeah. I'm like, ah, this guy's gonna bubble because I had a gazillion chips, and I got, I'm like, I have Ace King, I'm shoving on him, he's gonna bubble. He rolls over Kings, and then I do the big dog thing. <laughs> Too funny. I won the tournament though, for the record. <laughs> All right. ending. All right. So, uh, are there any other? <clears throat> do you guys ever bring up your own hand histories and review that, or go over hand histories with other folks, or is it is is that? Uh, less valuable to you guys. I try not to make myself like the Hawaiian Islands. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Funny. Um, you know, one thing I did do is I did a hand history review a um, couple tournaments, and pulling a ton of hand history off of a uh, couple of the sites, I did manage to go over some of my hand history. And, and I pulled some back from – it was crazy. Like I was pulling hand history back from like – 06 and 07 and just absolutely <laughs> shaking my head at myself. Yeah, well, that's entertaining <laughs> oh at this point. Yeah, it, would, it is it is a bit of, it is a bit entertaining, so. Yeah. Yeah, I uh there's a video running right now where Ween is reviewing my 10 cube deep run and it's really neat cuz for the same reason of why it's good to have poker uh friends, it's good to get 
other people that are better than you to review your hand history. And if you could, you know, sit with them, I mean, sometimes it means paying for coaching, but if you have friends who want to share hand history reviews, just going through that and you may not realize where the leaks are. Um, you know, sure, I'm going to post the, the, you know, the tough hand with 20 big blinds. Should I be shoving it here or not? But, you know, the very first hand of the latest video, um, I have kings in early position and we're about 35 or no, we're about 50 bigs deep. And I three bet too small out of position. And like, I just would never have posted the hand. I didn't think about it. It just seemed like a no brainer. But, uh, but have doing a hand history review is great because then you could, you know, you can, you can, see that someone could pick that up for you and and give you that that insight that you didn't know uh, yeah the problem with that the problem with that for me is like i i keep sending my hand histories to phil ivy (laughs) (laughs) he doesn't get back to me (laughs) Um, he's very busy yeah send a send a send a pair of dice with it and then maybe you'll get it (laughs) yeah if you if you say like i'll meet you at a craps table you will, you'll find <laughs> Phil Ivy. Yeah. Have you guys found that that making videos has almost become a form of study for you guys? I think I mean, it's become a form of torture. <laughs> <laughs> I, I used to feel that you know making videos made me um, play a little bit better because I was like winning a lot at the beginning when I was making videos, but now I'm not sure if it actually helps me or not, because I, I lose focus. And, I like, when I'm playing and I'm getting deep in the tournament, I get in this zone. And I know, like, with ten people left if I'm going to win or not. Like, if I feel like I'm in the zone, like, I'm I'm just, like, I'm like an assassin. But yeah. I, I don't know if I feel that way anymore making videos. At the beginning, I think it was kind of sharpening my senses, and now I think it's just kind of dulling them. Interesting. Hmm. That's interesting. I think for me, it... Uh... It really, I mean, if you're looking to play a really structured game and try to avoid making any form of mistake, making a video, you, you, you kind of you kind of shy away from any of those really difficult plays. It's kind of weird. But I don't. That's the other thing on the thing as well. To be a winning poker player and maintain those top threes, you sometimes got to think outside the box, like as, as Casey's saying, and be confident in making the plays. And sometimes when you're making a video and you're putting it out to a low-stakes crowd that won't even possibly understand the move, it, it's kind of challenging for me. Where Casey's making nothing but high, for the most part, has a major high stakes crowd and following. Sometimes I'm concerned about, you know, getting a bit too fancy with right. uh, in a low stakes game. Where because you know I got to realize, I, from my from my point of view, I'm I'm getting a lot of introductory players, a lot of level twos, and a lot of level threes, where three and four and five betting is just not even in their whole thought process. So I take it. Sometimes it's a bit different for me. Gotcha. Makes sense. Yeah. Cool. Right on. Well, should we uh, should we wrap this up and jump into uh, some of the hands for today? Yep. Whatever you want, the Healing Bird. Whatever you want. <laughs> I run this. Today. I run this town. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, so so like we said, the topic is the early anti period. So for the past, I don't know, five or six podcasts. We focused on the early stages and how to play deeper stacked, um, which a lot of tournament players are, are not necessarily super comfortable with. Um, we had a lot of topics to explore. Now we're moving into where antis have been introduced. So I think the first uh, concept that, that comes up here is changing gears. Um, so could you guys talk about a little, you know, what happens in your mind or how do you see the tournament or the table once antis are introduced? What, what changes for you guys? Is there a gear that you do change to or, or, or what, 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 what happens to you guys in your mind? 
Well, for me, first of all, um, as soon as there's uh, antis, um, I tend to give less respect to an open. Like if it's 5100 with no ante and somebody an MTT reg makes it 300, I just assume he has some sort of premium. Where right. if they're opening once there's antis, no matter how small, I, I I immediately get into the mode that they could be opening light. Um, and obviously, depending on my stack, if I'm still hella deep, then I don't get too crazy ready at the beginning. But if I'm somewhere around 30 or 35 bags and antis are introduced, I start opening up my range uh, vastly. That's pretty right. much the big difference for me. Um, I mean, when like you said, 5,100, you just don't want to risk the reward of winning a small pot as, as opposed to the risk of losing a big one at that point isn't worth getting into the action. And that's why people are more tight in ABC when there's no Annie's. But once that, once you break that threshold, I guess we'll call it, into, into the Annie's, that's what everybody's waiting for. And it's, uh, it becomes just a game of dead money at that point. And as the Annie's increase, the dead money increases and the, and the, the more, uh, slight plays, the thinner plays where you're going to have to, like, like for instance, racing or 60-40s, where you know from this point on in the tournament to win, you're going to have to, you're going to have to tackle 20 to 25 or 30 of these, of these spots. Okay. So the annies are what drives this, and it's basically what uh, drives the tournament from that point. Yeah, so I think I think we you know we kind of recognize that you have to you know up the aggression a little bit, play play more hands. One thing I noticed from watching one of your videos though, Casey, is um, and I think you just you briefly mentioned this just now. If you already have a huge stack at that point, I've noticed that early anti period you're not necessarily looking for every steal spot. Because, yeah. like, if you gain 625, is it going to add a lot to your 60K stack or something like that? Right. I like, I mean, if I, if I have 150 big blinds, right, yeah. like, or 100 big blinds or 80 big blinds, um, there's no difference if I have 83 big blinds as opposed to 80. Right. You know, it's just right. not making a big enough difference for me to, like, really get crazy and take my every single spot. If I'm really, really deep, even if there is Annie's, um, I won't take every spot. I'll still take, obviously, spots that you have to take, like raising the cutoff with 8, 9 of spades or something. I'll still do that. But I won't be, like, from every position uh, focusing on who's the nittiest guy and always raising his big blind. Like, I do this sort of stuff when it starts getting deeper and there's more value in stealing. But I won't do that when I'm still really, really deep and there is Annie's. Right. I was going to say, it's, it's interesting that, you know, you mentioned thinking about how anties affect your opponents because the initial thing I, I always think of when the anties kick in is, okay, time to start stealing more pots and, you know, time to start winning more hands because there's so much <laughs> more money in there. Oh, killing birds stealing pots is funny. Yeah, <laughs> anyway, go ahead. <laughs> But, but it, it is interesting to think of it more in terms of what your opponents are doing. Obviously, like you said, people are going to be opening lighter, which which means, you know, gives you the opportunity to, to take pots away from them. I just have, like, this image of Killing Bird trying to steal a big blind with his knitting needle. <laughs> <laughs> Poking at the screen. <laughs> let, me put, let me put this quilt down and try and get this big blind here. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I will say... We talked about it in the past uh, previous segment before you guys jumped on. He's crushing um, lately. And so have you changed anything, Derek, your own game in terms of – and I'll say what I've noticed, but before I say that, I want to know if you've you know, noticed anything. Has anything changed in your game um, in your recent success? Oh, yeah, definitely. I think I've 
I've loosened my game way up yeah. and just kind of opened it up more, especially late, uh, you know, mid into late stages where you just have to get a stack. Like, I, I just, I find myself always being like 24 of 35 yep. and stuff when you get into those crucial spots. And I, I just learned that I would just rather bust 36th. Yeah. Or have, or have a top 10 stack than that, be in that, that situation. That's exactly it because I've watched you for four years now or whatever. And, you know, you'd always have like 13 big blinds with 20 left and 11 big blinds and then nine big blinds. And, it, you know, I'd be screaming at you, shove or do something, right? <laughs> Not that I know what I'm doing, but I know, I know that wasn't right, right? <laughs> but I've noticed that it's not happening anymore. Now you're like in the top five or top 10. So, um, and I think what you said, the, the mid to late stages, this is why I wanted to bring up this early anti-period because um, I think it's a little bit ignored in terms of people focusing on their game. Uh, just from looking at our own forum, I noticed that most of the hands that are posted are early stages when they're deep stacked and poker's much harder, right? Just, you know, so many different streets and, you know, you, you know, so, so many implied odds, regular odds, et cetera, just, just harder hands to play. And then late on the bubble, on the final table bowl, or even at the bubble, you know, blinds are 800, 1600. Uh, I have a, a 14 big blind decision or something like that, or I'm at the final table. I, I went through to look for hands today. I went through about 12 pages of hands on our, our site and I could find two or three from members in this period. But to Derek's point, I think this is where you can start to accumulate and start to build a stack, um, and too many people probably sit on their hands a little bit, and then they find themselves with 20 big blinds at 500, 100, and now they're in push-fold mode. Would you guys agree with that or not? I agree to a certain extent. I mean, I just think that it's hard when the antis first come in to open up your game and maintain that aggression for three hours till the end of the tournament without getting caught. Right, right. Fair enough. Yeah. 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 Because, I mean... Yeah, it's good to up your aggression, but I really think you have to pick spots to do it because if you're chip leader of a tournament and you're trying to put the pedal down over and over again, you're going to get caught and suddenly you're going to be in the middle of the pack because you're yeah. going to get stacked. Like, it's just the way it is. You're going to run into to monsters if you're just trying to play that many pots. So I think that's where changing gears is. I just don't think you can put the pedal down and accumulate a stack and keep going and keep going. I mean, it's possible. I've done it, but... No, no, I agree. I agree with you. What I'm talking about is when you find... Find yourself at, you know, uh, let's say 125, 250 with 30 big blinds and you feel kind of comfortable. And then 10 minutes later, you're at, you know, or, or sorry, maybe 20 minutes later, you're at, you know, either 200, 400, and now you have 16 big blinds. Right. I think there's a, there's a period right there where people tend to get comfortable because they think I'm, I'm you know, I got 35 big blinds. I have time. But they're, that, that it slips away from them very quickly, and then they find themselves short-stacked. Yeah, yeah I, I actually wrote an article on that um, exact thing where you have to be conscious of when the levels are going up so you can maintain your, you know, the the amount of big blinds you need to still play pots without having to just be jamming. Right. Mm -hmm. And I've actually made a point of it in a video that I've made in the past where I had something like 7-7 seven, seven with 25 big blinds. And before I made my decision, the the sign on the screen flashed up that the blinds are going up, which put me to 18 big blinds. So essentially, right. at that point, it's it, it's no longer I have 25 big blinds. Right. I mean, yeah, it's the last hand of that level, but I'm shoving 25 big blinds with 7-7 seven, seven because that, after this hand, I'll have 18. Right. Mm -hmm. And right. I think you really need to be cognizant of that as you move along in a in a, uh, in a tournament. And, and those levels move. Island. 
I mean, if you're on Fire Island, you really gotta go watch it. Uh, you really gotta go watch it. <laughs> yeah. Gotta... It's so funny. Reception's bad out there too, so you might want to get your chips in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I see a new T Twist shirt in our future. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I just think people don't realize how fast blinds move in those middle stages, and 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 that their stack is not going to hold up. Um, and Therefore, I think we're, you know, there may be a little more more time that people could spend on those stages. So, uh, so that's why we moved into this uh, to this topic for today. So, uh, so why don't we talk about some hands? Um, Sounds good. Okay, so I can uh, I'll, I'll I'll guide you guys to some hands here. Um, the f- I, I think the first hand is probably a no brainer, but just for um, those who may not be familiar with um, just generally when to start open shoving. Um, what positions to start open shoving. Uh, I want you guys to take a look at the hand I just posted, and I'll describe. Um, I think these hands are going to go a lot faster uh, than than the previous hands have gone in our podcast because um, they're, you know, deep stacked. There are many streets to, to, to talk about and multiple options. Here we have just a couple of options. So um, in this first hand, uh, actually all the hands I posted from myself are from um, Full Tilt 28K, um, which is a $26 rebuy, I'm sorry, $26 multi-entry tournament at 10 p.m. Eastern time. And so in this particular hand, uh, we are at 122.40 with an ante of 25. Um, so there's 585 in the pot. And now I pick up ace-jack suited, um, which, you know, is, is you know, hand of decent value. Um, I only have 35, 3.5K. So at, at a big blind of 240, I have 15 big blinds. Now, if I was in late position, I would be insta-shoving this without even thinking. But now I'm in earlier position. To me, this still seems like a shove, but I'm assuming you guys would agree, disagree, ace-jack suited. I'm in under-the-gun plus two. It's folded to me. Um, the guys in the blinds have approximately 25 for the 25 big blinds for the small blind and 10 big blinds for the big blind. Easy shove or no? Oh, Standard. Standard, right? Okay, I just wanted level set for those who may be more amateur players and, and some of the easier things. So, why is this standard? Just let's 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 go explore beyond just you know. Well, I, 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 I agree that it's a standard shove, unless you like. There's nothing's ever exactly standard. Like, let's say you have a table where um, there's a couple guys that are just playing outrageous. Mm-hmm. Then you may want to induce action with ace jack, where if you're shoving, you're giving them no option but fold their call for your right. all your chips. So I mean, yeah, it's pretty standard because of the amount of big blinds you have. Um, if you have whatever the case may be, you're going to get some hands to fold that are maybe you're flipping with that they normally would play the pot with if you raise, like say king queen, or they may right. fold an ace jack if you just shove. But if you're looking for action because you have a couple of maniacs at your table and they, you know they're going to three-bet you with ace eight or whatever the case may be, you may want to raise call, but it's pretty standard right. shove. Right. Yeah, that's, now, that's, a, that's a good point, Case. I mean, just by looking at the stack sizes here, yeah, you assume standard shove. But there is always the, the key factor of uh, table dynamics. So good right. point. So what's your threshold here now? So like take the same exact situation and, and let's just assume the table dynamics are pretty standard, you know, pretty standard as well. No one's a maniac. It's, it's a $26 tournament and now we're in the ante period. So, you know, they're not going crazy yet. Um, you know, are we shoving weaker aces here? How, how weak are we shoving? Are we shoving any pair? What are you guys generally looking here with 15 big blinds from early position to start playing? Um, I'm shoving ace 10 there. Uh, uh-huh. I'm shoving, um, 
probably not shoving ace nine. So I'd say my cutoff is probably ace ten. And I'm probably shoving any pocket pairs, so deuces plus I'm probably I mean obviously I'm not shoving aces. I'm gonna try and, and do some action there, but uh I'd say ace stack is pretty close because you're in an early position here, so um, my threshold's probably ace ten. Okay, cool. And uh, okay. And, and uh, on a similar note, how big is Ron Fezbuddy's stack have to be here for him to just straight open as opposed to shoving? Like, well, at what at what point does that just become too big to shove? Well, I mean, again, there's other dynamics. Like, for example, if he was in seat three, it wouldn't matter how big his stack was if he was shoving on the guys with like under the amount of chips he has. He's still okay. effectively shoving, you know, 3,500 chips or 2,400, whoever the biggest stack is. But because he has some bigger stacks on his left, I say the threshold with ace jack there in this spot is probably 18 to 20 bigs. Okay. Cool. I mean, maybe if I have like 4,800 in chips, I, I might raise call single action. Right. You know, when I say single action, I mean if I get three bet, I'm just putting it in. But if, I, if there's a three bet and a flat, I might just fold. Right. Or something, or a three bet and a four bet, or whatever the case may be. All right, cool. I just think All too right. many times with ace jack, if you get three bet, you're probably you, you're flipping probably a, a pretty good percentage of the time. You know, right. Guy has king queen or tens, or I don't think you have to be dominated there. Well, I think that leads us directly into the next hand, which I think um, starts to ex- examine some of these specific questions. So, um, well, if you guys, <laughs> if you go to the next hand, um, in the same, same tournament, now we're at 200-400, um, and now I'm in MP2. Uh, I have 9,118 chips, so I have approximately 23 big blinds at this point. So I'm you know, a little deeper stack, but not, not overwhelmingly. I'm in a slightly later position, but once again, not overwhelmingly. And my hand here is Ace-8 offsuit, and it's folded to me in MP2. Behind me is a big stack cutoff, a 24-stack uh, button. And then the, both of the blinds are in the high 20s, their stacks. So now, with Ace-8 from MP2 folded to me, you know, here I'm always wondering, I mean, should I be just be jamming a 20 big blind stack at, at this point with a, a weak Ace? Should I open and then, you know, fold to a raise, which seems to be like wasting an Ace anyway, or just wasting, you know, why even open it if, or whatever, and, or just fold and just move on because of the stacks behind me? So I'm just curious what you guys are thinking at this point with Ace-8. For me, I, I fold this. Yeah. I just, because my whole thinking is this. I mean, if if I open and get called, now if I whiff the flop, I've got a C-bet. And I there's nothing more I hate than effectively opening, C-betting, and folding my way down to under 20 bigs. Yeah. Um, and like we were talking about a few, f- few minutes back in the podcast, now you open, C-bet, have to fold, and then three minutes later the blinds go up, and all of a sudden you're at 14 big blinds. So yeah. you basically just uh, crushed your tournament. Now, it's a different situation. Now, that's basically just saying by what I'm looking at. Now, dynamics come into play, like we talked about. If there's nut bars behind you that are that you figure you can you can four-bet shove on and they'll fold, then, I mean, make your play. But for me, 22.8 big blinds, ace-8 in mid-position, um, I'm probably not giving my tournament away at this point. Okay, I'm, I used to think kind of the way Tim does, but I, I've totally changed my mind on hands like this. Um, I have a play now that I've been, that I've been kind of tweaking, and uh, this is the perfect hand to do it. Um, I would definitely be opening this hand, and if I whiff the flop, what I've been doing a lot is check shoving. 
instead of sea betting and putting myself under 20 big blinds, if the flop say comes, if I have ace eight and the flop comes nine high, nine four deuce or something, I just check and almost always that guy fires chips and then I just jam and then he just folds like a little girl. <laughs> and that now, plays work for me a lot. Yeah, I, I wonder though, would it work at lower stakes? Um, I could see that working at higher stakes where people are thinking about what you're check shoving. But if somebody has like a pair of nines or something, they may never be folding. I mean, I know that it's not not likely that they connect on all the all the, the flops. I know Tim. Oh, they're not fo- they're stakes? not folding if the flops nine high. They're not folding a nine at a higher oh. stake either. All right, maybe like a seven of sevens or an eights or sixes or something. You know, a smaller pair other than the top uh, pair out there. Oh, I think I think you're way more likely to get folds at the lower levels. What do you think, Tim? Um, well, for, be honest, I don't use the check shove that that often when I'm on air. Um, so to, I can't really make a accurate comment on that because, okay. I mean, I know how that's. I don't know. It's a tough spot. I mean, I've seen Casey use the check shove, and I've never seen it not work. Basically, <laughs> and uh, yeah, to, to be honest, I mean, I've seen him use it quite a bit, and. Right. It's an effective move right now, and uh, as you can, you heard Casey say he's tweaking it and working it before he releases it to the public. <laughs> you know what it is? You have to have the balls to follow through. If you Absolutely. If you can't follow through, like I, I actually remember seeing, I was watching a video last night of Casey playing in um, on a Wednesday night live sweat, and he had Ace Nine suited, and he decided to open, um, and he just decided. From I think it was middle position, and he said that this guy, this guy from the big blind called him, and he said, I'm going to cover the flop, and I'm just going to see bet here because I don't even want to see what the flop is. I know my plan, um, and I know this is the most profitable play for me to do. And he did it. He actually – you flopped the flush, but <laughs> that didn't matter. Um, but you have to have, you have, to have the follow-through. Yeah. Otherwise, you can't make those plays. It's amazing to me how at low stakes how I'll be sitting playing, and I'll, I'll – It'll be like a perceived notion that a guy has me set up the way I think he's playing at me. Right. And then not pull the trigger on the river. Right. And, I, and I'm just like, if you would, like in my head, or I'll even type it. Like, no, I don't usually type it. But, it, you know what I'm saying? I'll say in my head, man, if that dude only had the, the, the kahunas to finish off my perception of what he was trying to do, right. he would have taken the pot down. Right. But he just completely either froze up or didn't realize he was even making that particular, like setting up that particular play. And, right. you know, I see it a lot at low stakes. I think, I think him not knowing is probably more likely. It's, yeah. It's like, the, it's like your, your buddy at uh, the circuit event. What's floating? Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> Thanks, KB. Thanks for wrecking my day. Sorry. I just had to bring it up one more time. <laughs> one more time. Somebody asked you what floating was? Uh, three way for the ring. The guy with the chip lead, I looked at him, I said, is it just in your game to float me no matter what? He looks at me and says, floating? What's floating? <laughs> uh, he was serious? Oh, oh, he was serious, Sheets. And, and, Did you uh, tell him this... that's what you do when you step off the island into the ocean? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think, sir, I float. The dude must have floated him three times, and I think he got there every time. He just never got knew he was floating. Every time. But uh, that's okay. That's okay. I think he just so, wanted to get the sick brag in about three-handed at a circuit event. <laughs> I didn't bring it up. Yeah, KB fed him that one. <laughs> That's what I do. Yeah, so if you're – okay, so I think uh, – I mean the points I'm taking from this hand are uh, if if you are if you are going to play it, you have to be able to follow through. It's – it's you know, you don't want to put in, uh, you know, X amount of chips and then leave yourselves with 14 big blinds. Um, you know, your plan has to be a certain – 
plan and you have to follow through with it. But if you're not ready to do that or if it's not, you know, if you're maybe not at that level yet, maybe it's just better to fold it and, and, and save your chips uh, as opposed to put in an open NSC bet and then have to fold. Uh, well, I mean, you could always use the theory that it's better to fold and save your chips, but I, uh, this is an open for me. Okay. All right, so I do open it. Um, so I make it 800, um, and I get a call from the big blind, uh, who has 29 big blinds at the time. So just to review where we are, uh, we're at 200, 400. I am folded to me an MP2 with ace eight off. I make it 800. I get a call from the big blind. Um, the flop is queen nine ace with two hearts, and I'm holding the ace of hearts. Uh, so at this point, he checks to me. Uh, there's 2,200 in the in the pot. Um, what's my play here? Am I am I bet? I'm, I'm assuming I'm betting this. What's so you know? I, I would normally see bet, you know, almost all the time anyway. So what what would you guys be doing here? I definitely like to see bet. I mean, you flop top pair, so right. ch- chances are way more times than not that you have um, the best hand here. Um, yeah. It's kind of draw heavy, yeah. so I, I would definitely see bet. What what size are you guys? See betting too. Uh, I would see bet somewhere between um, eleven ninety nine and twelve oh one. You did good. I bet. I bet twelve hundred. <laughs> <laughs> I bet exactly what the big dog would bet, um, and I get a call uh, from this guy. So he, he he calls me out of position, and we go to the turn. There's forty six hundred in the pot. Um, I got at this point. What did I put in about? 2000. So I have, we're playing effectively about 7K uh, with 46K in the pot. And the, the turn is a two of hearts. And he checks to me. Um, and now, once again, I'm sitting here now with the ace of hearts. There's three hearts on the board, and I have top pair. I feel like, I, I, I don't know, like, and this could be flawed thinking here, but I feel like he's going to fold a ton here if I bet, and my hand is so strong um, that I want to get to a river. So I check behind. Should I just be betting to build the pot here and just hope he's coming along or hope he shoves him here or something? What are you guys thinking at this point in the, in the hand? <laughs> if, if I was to pick a card out of the deck that I would want to see, I mean, this, this is probably the one. Uh, right. it, it gives you a nut flush draw. You probably have the best hand. He probably floated just to float. This is the perfect two-barrel card. Right. So I would be back calling here. I would I would definitely be betting the turn because I think he folds a lot of hands that he was floating with just to float. And what let's say he has ten jack or something. I mean you you probably want to push him off that hand. So I I mean he might even fold something like you know, ace eight or ace ten or something like that. So I mean I, I would definitely be two barreling barreling here every single time. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. If that's the two of clubs, I'm probably gonna check call the river. Right. Yeah. And, but it's the two hearts. That's the absolute. That's the card you're looking for in that spot. So perfect two barrel spot. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. I definitely. I know, I know that was a mistake. That's why I picked the hand. Um, so the river is a six of clubs. Uh, he checks and I, and I bet. Um, and he and he calls and he, I bet sixteen hundred into the forty six hundred pot. I didn't know if I would get a, a call from anything bigger since he played it so weak. Um, yeah, it's king queen, right? Okay, so um, so what do you guys think he has? He has King Queen. I don't think I know. <laughs> Actually, he has Ace Eight as well. Does <laughs> he? Really? Yeah, he has the same. Um, exact- yeah, of, co- of course we were paused when I said that. 
Um, I believe I said during the analysis he may even be folding hands like Ace-8 if you two-barrel. So you could have won that plot had you not been a complete retard and not bet the turn. (laughs) (laughs) All right, thank you. Now we're going to move on to Killing Bird's hands. (laughs) No, I I agree. Um, You know, definitely uh, there's a turn bet there. But uh, I think what we primarily want to take away from that hand is the pre-flop action. You know, just, you know, is that hand worth playing or not? Um, with 20 bigs, and if you can't follow through on your plan, um, you're better off just folding. Uh, I think is what, what we're taking away from from that early well, on. And and my 22 moral, bigs, not 20, just for the record. I think that makes a difference. My yeah, moral, yep. my moral of the story is with everybody c betting nowadays, there's so much more floating going on that you yeah. better get your double barreling skills down and know when and when not to to stay ahead of the curve. Or your check shove. Or check shove. So that that's just my opinion on today's poker. Cool. And that was a um, ultimate two barrel spot. So. Okay. Well played. Good. Well played, Ron Pez. <laughs> very good. Okay. You now need let's... a deposit, sir. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! Uh, all right. Next hand, Derek, save me. <laughs> I'm here to help. Yeah. Um. Okay, so then moving on to the next hand, um, let's move into a situation where we're not the first to act um, and we're facing an open in front of us with, you know, approximately 25 big blinds here. So um, in this hand, uh, it's the PokerStars 2K. Blinds are at 200-400 with a 50-chip uh, ante. And so uh, our hero here is – this is a hand from the forum. Um, our hero here is in MP1, and he has 24 big blinds. He has 9, 9.6K approximately. Um, he's holding ace-queen from that MP1 position, and under the gun plus one makes it 8-8-8. So he makes it you know, a little over 2x, um, and it folds to him in MP1. Uh, so what are you guys thinking here with ace-queen? Obviously, it's a hand with some, some great strength pre-flop, but we, you know, we, we have an under the gun plus one opener, and we have a lot of players left to act behind us, but we only have 24 big blinds. Uh, what, is, what should our player here be thinking? All right, well, at the risk of sounding like a complete idiot, this is obviously a HUD stat, 50 of 36. Yeah, okay, we didn't mention that, but on the on the, the form link it does that. So so the villain, he says, yeah, the read is probably important here, so let's, let's go to that. He says the villain is 50 of 36 over a 30-hand sample size and has been actively opening pots. Um, that means that he's playing 50% of the pots and raising 36% of them. Okay. Um, he's near the bubble. Um, even though it's only two, we're at 200-400 uh, near the bubble. Yeah, it's 255 runners left, 234 get paid. Yeah. Okay, this, this is like an, this is the no-brainer of no-brainers yeah. to me. Yeah. Um, this is a, a three-bet shove. Um, if it, I'm in the money, I may three-bet, and if this guy's this active, I'll let him tool out and put his chips in with something like King Jack and then take the 60-40 to double up. But because it's right near the bubble, I'm just putting in all 24.2 of my big blinds to let him know that I'm committed to the pot, quite obviously, not give him any play whatsoever, and uh, and put in my chips. I think he folds at least, if that's how many pots he's opening, at least 85 to 90% of the time he's folding to a three-bet shove here. Yeah. So I just I just jam it. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100. percent I think 
my threshold is like if I have Ace King in that spot, I probably three bat. Hopefully he tools out. It's close. I probably jam even still because chances yeah. are that he's gonna have a live card or two, and I'm not sure I want to do that right on the bubble. Good, yeah, good point. So I yeah. probably jam any any hand I'm willing to play there. I'd probably jam unless it's aces. Cause then yeah, I'll, anything I'll I'm looking at against anybody. Everything I'm looking at here to me, yeah, it's, I, I'd put it in. Yeah, and the reason I picked this hand is because there was discussion on should we be shipping here or should we be raising to like 2K. But I think Casey, you addressed that. We don't want to, you know, we just want to get it in here and show them that we're not folding. Yeah, I Sounds mean, like. like I said, there's 255 left and 234 get paid. If it's a diff- different situation, say there's 350 left, I'm definitely trying to induce action off somebody that's this ag. Or say we're in the money, there's 220 left. I'm definitely trying to induce action um, and get paid. But um, because of where we are and the fact that we're right on the money bubble, essentially, um, yeah, I'm just shipping it in there. Right. Right. Um, and. Uh, let me ask you, Casey. For me, I'm probably shipping queens in there as well. Um, yeah, queens. You can probably. I mean, I might three bet queens, three bet call. But jacks, you put it in. So that's yeah. your threshold. That's your fence. Jacks, queens. Yeah. I mean, even queens. I, I don't have a problem with you just putting it in, but um, because it is right on the bubble. But definitely jacks. I'm putting in kings and aces. I'm raising and and hoping he's tooling out. Yeah, we actually had one or two responses that they thought maybe we should be folding here. Yeah, and maybe maybe I should uh, run the Boston Marathon, but it's not a pass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine this ever being yeah, a fold. I agree. I agree. Okay. I think folding is only slightly worse than flatting. Yeah, okay. this is this is a snap jam for me. I guess a key question here, if we can get up to all our listeners, is uh, Casey. Where where would this be a three? What how many big blinds would you need for this to be a three bat, not a shove? Thirty. Uh, well, he has thirty seven, so um, I'd probably be willing to get thirty seven big blinds in with him at this point with this hand if he's opening that much. Uh, I you know that's a, that's a that's a good question. Um, I would say that. Even if he has 37 bigs, I, 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 if I have, like, 30 bigs, I would 3-bet instead of shoving, but I would 3-bet huge. So he would have to be a complete tool not to realize that I'm getting all my chips in. Like, I'm making it, like, 4,200 here. Yeah, like a 3-bet shape to where you show him you're not folding. Right, like 4,200 or something like that. And if he wants to get it in, great, giddy up. Right. Yeah. I just I just thought I'd take over hosting the show there for a second. I like it. It's good. <laughs> you have a future in broadcasting. <laughs> I just think that when these spots are so funny, I always like to address my like um, my fence range. I guess we'll call it where I'm like yeah. like I, he, just, he said where he's going with the jacks. He's three betting the queens. He's based on big blinds. You're going with 24 and change, but you're three betting with 40. Right. So. Okay. Um, do we know the result of this hand? Uh, we do. Um, let's see. I think the guy wakes up with a monster. He says that he has ace king and holds. Sorry. I mean, unlucky. Yeah, it's just unlucky. I mean, yep. the play is right. Yeah, I mean, based on result, it sucks, but the play is right. Yeah. Yep. And I guess, did we give a shout out to Southpaw R32 for the post? No, that's that's the member that posted a good call. Southpaw R thirty two. 
think Southpaw uh, 32 as well, but uh, I'd rather he we didn't use his hand because I like cutting up Braun Fez. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the bottom line was he did three bet shove this ace queen in this spot. Uh, yes, I believe is that he did. what it, is that what happened? And the the, the initial razor um, woke up with ace king. Yeah, let me read you his response. He says, my initial response was to just flat and take a flop, but once I considered how active the villain was, I decided I'm well ahead of his range. I have fold equity considering the stack sizes and we're close to the bubble, which should give my shove more credit, given that there are still bigger stacks to the left. Um, so I decided to shove, and he snapped with ace-king. I mean, his thinking is, is spot on. You yep. know? It's yeah. one of those hands where you just go, well, that's pretty unfortunate, and you yep. hit the X and close the window, and you move on to the next tournament. No, you're, you're well said, KB. That's exactly, that's exactly it. And Southpaw, hold your head high, sir. Good hand, sir. Okay, here's another hand where um, we get flatted by someone with a shorter stack. We are at 300-600, and our hero is under the gun here. Um, this is wild-eyed from the forum. Um, he posts a hand here where he has eights under the gun and at 300, 600, he has a pretty big stack. He has 59 K I'm sorry, 35 K, uh, for 59 big blinds. Um, and he is first to act here at a full nine handed table. Um, just for more information, the blinds are, if it gets to them, uh, we have a 23 big blind stack in the small blind and a 13 big blind stack in the big blind. But he's under the gun, so there's a lot of players uh, left to get to that point. Um, so first off, at 300, 600 with eights in the under the gun, um, are we opening here? Is this an open? Is this close? Is this an easy open or a fold? What are you guys generally doing here with a mid pair? Oh, easy, easy open for easy me. Open. Easy open, right. Okay. So agreeing on that, he does open. Um, he makes it 1,400, 1,415. Um, and then he gets a couple of folds, but then the player in MP2 with 16.8 big blinds, a 10K stack, calls. Um, so he calls 1,415 out of a 10K stack. Uh, we don't know much about this player. He says All he says is that he just watched the opponent lose a hand where he tank folded for a rather large pot. Um, so he gets flatted by this shorter stack and everyone else folds. So we go to a, a flop um, with this guy calling us. There's about there's 41.80 in the pot. Um, our hero's under the gun first to act. And the flop is 9.66 six, six with two clubs. Um, so how do we proceed here, guys? What, being first to act with a... With a uh, you know, uh, an underpair against a guy who's who's short stacked. What do you? What's the plan of action here? Uh, hey, maybe Casey has check check shove techniques going on here. No. No, you I just. Have, I have click shove. Okay. I just click all my chips into the middle and, and hit shove. Yeah, that was my initial thinking too. I mean, what are you folding to? The guy has what, thirteen and a half, fourteen big blinds after making the call pre-flop. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm not I'm not folding to him. I'm not I'm not going to see bet and then fold to him. So if I'm if, if my theory is if I'm not going to see bet fold, uh, I'm either going to just check fold or shove my chips in the middle. And I think the guy's probably just like a horrendous fish, and uh, I'm yeah. going to shove and watch him fold like a good percentage of the time here. Right, and I think you know that's the question. Do we when when a guy flats us with that stack size? Um, which we don't obviously want to flat. We want to, you know, the action pre here. Um, we hate going to a flop. I, th I think, uh, you know, with, with a lot of players, but when a guy flats us with that stack size, 
and we don't know anything about him, we just kind of have to assume he's not a good player at this point, right? Right. I mean, either that or assume that he's, he's, you know, great at poker and that he has aces and just shut the hand down. But uh, I think I'm never doing that. So I'm just, I'm just shoving it in here. Right. And I think I asked that question because I think without, what we have to be cognizant of is without evidence, we can't assign a guy being awesome and doing that to us. We have to assume if we don't know him and he hasn't shown us any reason you know, that believe that he's playing, uh, you know, a 16 big blind stack, like some sort of genius. Um, we have to just assume he's playing it poorly when he does this. And I think right. players, players freeze up and don't know what to do, especially out of position here. Well, this is the thing. I was I talking mean, to – go ahead, Tim. Well, I just think this is the thing here. I mean, uh, with online, if you don't recognize the player one and you, and, and you consider yourself to be like a, an online regular – and you have to take the evidence for what it is. You have to take people's betting patterns, bet sizes, how they play in position, out of position. You know, and this is ultimately what's going to make your decision in these spots based on the player's ability. And I think coming up with the player's ability um, is simple. It's based on the evidence that he's providing for you. And that's his bet sizing, his flatting here uh, with that stack just shows that he's horrible. I mean, it doesn't – I mean, and, and without knowing people um, – these are the little things you need to to build your um, to help make I guess help facilitate your decision making I guess we'll say yeah yeah so. makes sense and, and so we Casey what I I didn't consider shoving because you know I think a lot of people wouldn't consider shoving because it feels like a big overbet and what do you get called with but I guess what happens here is because we're out of position this hand just sucks to play you know out of position so why not just take the play away from him is that is that kind of what you're thinking here what you're getting at. Uh, I mean, the guy's willing to flat with that stack pre-flop. He's probably willing to flat a C-bet with, say, he has, like, king-queen. Uh, I just I just want to be over the hand. Like, uh, I have no yeah. idea what he's doing. Um, so, yeah, I'm just putting my chips in and, and, and being done with it. I, I What I was trying to say earlier is um, I, I was playing a live tournament with Jim Calapi, who's Mr. Big Cheese online, he's pretty well known, and we had a really sick table, and there was this one guy doing these unorthodox things, like, just like that, and on the break, we discussed, it's so hard to tell with no information if the guy's an absolute sicko or a complete fish, right. so we decided that at, at, at times like that, you should just assume that he's the fish, Yeah, it's mm-hmm. probably more positive EV, and that's what I'm doing here, that... I know, like if I if I raise there and, and some superstar flats me, okay, well my bells are gonna go off. But this guy, I'm just thinking that he's an absolute toolbar, and uh, I'm just shoving it in and watching him fold. Right, because anyone who's schooled in the game of poker and is an exceptional player and put all the time and necessary to get good at this game doesn't show up to a tournament once and decide to start playing like that. <laughs> it's because they're no, you know, it's because they're no good. Right. That's the fish at the table, folks. You, you, you've right. just recognized them. And there is one at every table. So there he is. Yep. Cool. Okay. All right. So uh, good, our, good. Our next hand um, is a killing bird hand. Oh, yes. <laughs> and um, this is a spot where he is in the small um, – Oh, the big, awful. Actually, Derek, why don't you walk us through it? This is your hand. All right, so this is the uh, Full Tilt 28K. Um, I don't know. This might have been the same night you were playing. I'm not sure. But anyway, I am in the big blind, and I have uh, a little under 60 big blinds. Player uh, makes it 1,000 at 
at 25500 so it's a min-raise. There is a one caller, and then it folds around to me in the big blind, and so it's 500 more to call. I opt to call with the five, six of clubs. The original raiser is under the gun. Um, four folds, then a call, and then I uh, opt to call in the big blind. So I guess a good place to start is, should I be calling here, you know, almost 60 big blinds deep to a min-raise? Yes. Yes, I okay. do every time. Yes. Yeah. Especially when another guy comes in, you have even more value in trying to hit a monster. Yeah. So yeah, I would uh, I would definitely be calling here. Cool. All right, so I do indeed call. The flop comes queen five eight with two diamonds. Um, so I flop obviously bottom pair, no kicker, no draws, etc. Um, so I just go ahead and check and figure out just reevaluate. The original raiser bets one thousand into a pot of thirty seven hundred. The other caller folds, and so now it's back to me. You know, looking at a bet of a thousand in, into a pot of thirty-seven hundred, and I can tell you that at this point, what's going through my head is all the times that I've seen Casey call the flop, <laughs> yeah, and say and and, and say how, how how his opponent never has anything. So I'm like, I'm, well, I, I I'm, could probably call here too. Yeah, I'm totally picturing Casey saying, "I have no reason to think I'm behind here." Like, yeah, I've seen it over and over again in Casey's videos, and that's what's ringing in my head right now, too. I'm saying exactly that. I have no reason to think I'm behind here. Um, I guess one question I can ask at this point is, KB, what what do you think when a guy C-bets the exact same amount as his open? I think a lot of times – a couple of things go through my mind. One is that it's a like some sort of a draw that he just wants to bet. And maybe take down if everybody folds. But if not, he hasn't invested a ton. And my raise, you know, if I'm going to re-raise him, it might not be too big that he can't call. So he, you know, he could have something like Ace King of Diamonds here or Ace Jack of Diamonds where he wants to see another card, but he kind of feels like he has to bet. Um, so that's kind of what I think. But a lot of times it's just, it's just, I, the, the alternative is that it's just a, a complete whiff. Like he yeah. just completely missed and doesn't know what to do. So he's like, well, yeah. I'll just min bet and hope that everybody folds. And that's kind of, you know, what I was thinking may have happened here. So I, I felt like it was a spot I could call, um, even though there are going to be very few turn cards that I probably like. But, um, yeah, I just kind of felt like I had to call. Would you well, guys I raise think, to take him off? I, I think – go ahead, Case. Sorry. I, I don't raise here. I, I call. Oh. Yeah. I, I want to try and control the pot when I think that my hand has some showdown value, and I think that I'm probably ahead, but not by a wide margin. But uh, so I want to try and control the pot size. So I think call is absolutely perfect here, the right play. Yep. And the thing is that I notice as well is having first act position on the river for when you float here, and you check the turn. And if he checks the turn as well, you you can fire having first act. But I don't want to get too far ahead. But right, that's. I mean, obviously, Ron Fez is trying to ask if we should raise, so we cut you up, Killing Bird, because on <laughs> him, you play No, no, directly. no, no. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, I think call is uh, is definitely the way to go on this turn. You, you, flop, you flop the pair. I mean, more times than not, then you're going to be ahead here. Right. I definitely, I definitely float here, for sure. Okay. Phew, all right, one safe street for me. Uh, so I, yeah, I do indeed call. So that brings the pot to 5,700 and the turn is actually the six of spades. So that's making it queen five, eight, six, uh, two diamonds, two spades. So turn gives me two pair. So, you know, as I said, there's not too many turns I'm going to like, but this is actually one that I kind of do like. Um, and I think, I feel like this may, if there's a spot that I messed up, it's probably here, but I think leading is just 
well, I'm just going to make him fold a ton if I lead because uh, it seems to look sort of strong, and, and maybe now I'm, I'm afraid of draws and stuff, but I have to check. Do you guys feel checking is bad? Well, I definitely never lead there, but I think I don't lead with the intentions of probably check-raising maybe with the, how draw-heavy the board is. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Case? Yeah, this, street, this street is played bad. I would rather you yeah. lead than check-calling. Um, That's it? At least leading. You don't scream at him? <laughs> <laughs> That's it? You started off with you. It took you a paragraph to get to the street is bad. <laughs> it amazes me how often you guys play hands and just yeah. screw them up. <laughs> but, no, um, I, would, I think check raising here is, is the perfect line. Leading gives him a chance just to call if he has something like king-queen. But if he has something like king-queen, you're going to want to check-raise here because you're dying to get all the chips in with this hand Yep. And if he has king-queen. So um, I, I would definitely be check-raising here, but I wouldn't just check-call because the, there's so many cards on the river that can hurt you. You can get counterfeited. There's so many draws that can complete here. It's unbelievable. So I think this turn has to be check-raised every single time. What hand does he have right now that you're losing to? Queens? No. He doesn't have queens. I'm doubting very much he has big dogs. Like, give me a break. He doesn't have eight. So this this has to be a check raise. You you weren't sure where you were on the flop. That's why you floated. Because, I mean, you're probably ahead, but you can't be sure. You're, like, 98% sure that you're good on the turn. And this guy may actually have a hand because he two-barreled. You have to raise here. I think it's horrendous not to. Yeah. Yeah, that when I was kind of getting ahead of myself reading, I just spotted that as a spot. Like when you when you're going to turn uh two pair like that in such a filthy draw heavy board, um you definitely never leading, never check calling. My my line is definitely a check raise. Okay. Yeah, it it seems like it seems pretty obvious to me looking at it now and you know, I don't I don't know why I did that to be honest, but um I hated it when the river comes the 8 of spades because then Obviously, any queen now beats me, and any bigger pair than mine beats me. So I just kind of have to, I have to vomit draw. at the river. Yeah, spade draw got there. Some straight draws got there. Basically, uh, any six beat you. Like, uh, I mean, he could have some sixes in his range that beat you now with a six. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's the, obviously any eight beat you. So, yeah, that's a horrendous card and exactly what we were afraid of by not raising the turn. Plus, you yeah. want to get it in on the turn. You're not necessarily betting just because you're afraid of the river. You right. know you're ahead on the turn. Right. And, and I think his I think his turn bet suddenly looks sort of strong. Like, even though my read on his, you know, his min bet on the flop was that he might have been kind of weak, all of a sudden, when I check and he bets 3,500 into 5,700, it, it kind of looks... You know, it looks like he might have something here at this point. That's what I'm saying. Like, his two-barrel looks strong. I think he's calling here if you're raising a lot of times and you want to get it in. Or it could be that he's seen a big dog video and, he, and he's like, where I'm like, I'm going to two-barrel, but I'm going to do it really strong here and make it look really, really, really big. Right. So that's what he could be doing as well. But either way, I think the turn has to be raised. Yep. And then on that river, I mean, there's just really nothing else to do but check fold, right? Oh, I wouldn't say that. I mean, uh, I would check, and then, it, uh, like, I breathe a huge sigh of relief when he checks. Like, I think you're ahead now. Like, I don't know what he has, but uh, I'm probably going to say he has something like ace, ten of diamonds or something like that. But I wouldn't necessarily be snaffolding on this river because there's hands he's two-barreling that you beat, like ace, mm-hmm. ten of diamonds. 
You know what I mean? He may he may decide that he only, he can only win this pot by three barreling now. There are some draws that he missed that uh, that you're ahead of. So I I wouldn't be snap folding. I'd see what he bet and go with my read. But I don't think it's a check fold. And, okay. and here's the thing that we can take a step back to the turn. Check raising that turn KB gives you more options on the river. So that spade hits, and you could probably you know represent that. I mean, if you figure it's your only way to take the pot down. I mean, you show pass. You're so passive on the turn that you really, you really got nothing, nothing to go to on the river. If you right. check raise the turn, now this guy's thinking like, wow, does he have a hand like king queen of spades? You know, and he's picked up that spade draw to go with his king queen, unless he has the king queen that we suspect he may have. But you know what I'm trying to say? By check raising that turn, it allows you to have more options to explore on the river. Just by by calling there and showing how passive you are, you really, what do you got on the river? You got you can't really you can't really make any kind of an overwhelming move. I don't know. Maybe maybe Casey can give me. I, some know, I mean, obviously, obviously, uh, from what K, KB said about check folding, this guy does have a queen. Like he probably has king queen and has you beat. But um, I, I think I think I mean the the mistake is obviously on the turn. The, the, right. There's no other way to analyze this hand. The okay. mistake is on the turn. All right, so yeah, so on the river, I, I do go ahead and check, um, and he checks behind and shows me queen four of hearts. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think a a check raise on the turn certainly would have won me the pot, and a pretty nice pot at that. I mean, it was you know like a close to a ten k pot at that point. So. Right, and if he decides his queen's good and he gets it all in there with queen four, you want that action even if you get rivered. Right. So let's go on to the last hand. Uh, guys, get ready because there's another one of mine. Um, yes. <laughs> all right. So it's uh, well, you know I can see what's going on here. You took out Poker Sini and you want to brag about it. <laughs> I, the writing is on the wall. As soon as I see this come up, Poker Sini's name is highlighted. Yeah, because yeah. I, I he shoves it with five big blinds into my king, so it's a really hard. Decision for me to take him out. Um, <laughs> oh my! Break, right? No, okay. So, so what's happening in this hand is it's two hundred, four hundred. Once again, at the twenty-eight k, the twenty-six dollar um, full tilt uh, tournament. Uh, I am on the button with twenty-two big blinds, and I have king. So obviously, uh, all good. We're happy about that. Um, Pokercini makes it to goes all in. He's short stacked under the gun, so he has you know two k. Which obviously is not is not that interesting, but um, we get a flat from under the gun plus two with uh, for twenty eight twenty eighty, which is what Pocacini was all in for. So now it's folded to me on the button with the kings, and and my question here is, um, you know, I obviously want to get all the chips in here, hopefully pre flop. Um, you know, I I assume just shoving, hoping this guy has a hand that's good enough to flat here is good enough to call, um, or are you guys calling and? And, you know, my, my fear is that something will scare him on the flop. So is my line of thinking there good? Should I, and I have 22 big blinds, so I, you know, I do shove to my, my whole stack in um, and hope that he calls. So what do you guys think here? Is this a flat or is this a, an overshove? Uh, for me, I, I like shove here just because you're, you can, you're showing that maybe that you're just trying to scoop the pot and get him out of there and get right. heads up action. So he might call you. Yeah, um, that's my exact thinking. That, that, that's just kind of the way I look at Like I said, looking at this and not understanding the dynamics of the table and how things have been going. But, I mean, what's he what's he just calling with there, speculate? What's he calling with and, and not going to call your shove with? That's my thinking, exactly. But, you agree, uh, Casey? 
Unfortunately. Yeah, so he yeah, so I, I agree. Okay, so this is probably you know, more of a no brainer, but um yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. I was trying to make it look like I'm just trying to scoop up um the pot. Uh I don't want him to get scared on the flop and, and fold. Um or if a dreaded ace hits, uh that would suck too. So I um I, I do shove and he actually folds, speculate. Um which surprised me, uh but he did. Um and uh and I, I don't recall exact what the results were. I, I do know I took it. I don't remember what Pocacini had, but I don't think it's that important. It's not the, the interesting part of this hand. Um, so, okay. So that was the last hand. Um, and that is it for our, our strategy segment today on, on the podcast. Excellent. want to say uh, big thanks to Tim and Casey for stopping in today. Much appreciated, especially uh, at the, the crack of noon. <laughs> yeah, good. <laughs> I know you're, it's early for you. You're welcome. Um, so yeah, so uh, we'll uh, we'll go ahead and take a break, and then we will be right back here on the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. Thanks, guys. See ya. Thanks, guys. Take it See easy. Ya. Good luck. Later. Good luck in that. Hey, this is Killingbird from TournamentPokerEdge.com here to tell you about our exclusive rakeback program. Tournament Poker Edge offers up to 40% rake back on sites such as Full Tilt Poker, Absolute Poker, Ultimate Bet, and Cake Poker. If you're playing online and not getting rake back, you are just giving money away. So visit rakeback.tournamentpokeredge.com and sign up for the Tournament Poker Edge Rake Back program and start getting paid to play today. Welcome back to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. Special thanks to T-Twist and Big Dog Pocket Fives for joining us for our strategy session today. Always good having uh, our Canadian team on, so thanks uh, to them. Absolutely. And let me ask you, did you just throw face-to-face back there for the bumper music? I did. Ah. As, a, as, a, as, a, as a special little treat for you, because I know how much you love that. <laughs> I love that song. Can you can, uh, listen to how great this song? I think this is like from the early 90s, I think, or mid-90s. I can't remember exactly when it was produced, but like, it's a perfect punk song, and it's just it's it's so energetic. It's got great melody. Can you just play that like just to the chorus for for everyone? I just want everyone to hear how great a song this is. I'm going to post this in the um in the, the the TPE music thread for anyone who likes this song. I'm just going to. Could you just throw on up to the yeah. chorus? All right, yeah, let me fire it back up here really quick. All right, cool.
So there you go, man. A little face-to-face just for you. How do you not want to go out and just, like, chug a bunch of beers and just, like, go see some live music after hearing that? Like uh, no doubt, man. Oh, it it's... brings back, like, so many good memories of when I was living in Los Angeles and just seeing, like, tons of those great kind of shows, like Face to Face and Social Distortion and Degeneration, yeah. all these, like, great, like, punk rock shows. And, totally. uh, man, I miss those days. I don't know if... I've... I don't know if there's just aren't those kind of bands around anymore or if I'm just too old to go out and enjoy them, but I certainly uh, don't have those same kind of memories now. No, probably a little bit of both anyway, right? Like, did you yeah. ever come and play or did you ever go to the Continental in New York City? Do you remember that? Yeah. Venue? Did you ever play there or did you ever see a show there? Never played there, but saw several shows there. In fact, one, a couple of my favorite shows were at the Continental. Yeah. Um, Degeneration, who I just yep. mentioned, used to play there quite a bit. Um, and a band from... L.A. that almost nobody knows called Blackboard Jungle uh, played a show out there when I was living in New York. Wow, I do not and, uh, got to see them. I generally, like, I was really big into indie rock back then. Of course, punk was diff- you know slightly different, but you know, kind of anything that was relevant to punk was like kind of interesting to indie rock, right? So um, I kind of knew a lot of those bands, but uh, but I think I saw Degeneration there too, and um, I saw Face to Face there. But the best was seeing the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. Uh, ah, nice. I didn't see him there. I saw him at. It was actually. It's funny. It's. I took my little brother. It was his first concert ever. I took him to the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. So wow. Awesome. Yeah, and it's funny because um, one of my buddies posted on YouTube, not on uh, on Facebook, um, you know, Mighty Mighty Boss Tone. Uh, someday I suppose the video. Oh, and yeah. I'm like, and I'm like watching it, and it's like, this, I mean, like, the, you know, it's these guys from Boston. They're all wearing these suits. It looks like the town, the musical. <laughs> they all look like they're from that same neighborhood. <laughs> it's really awesome. Anyway, uh, that's great. This is a poker podcast. I don't know. What yeah, we could do our we could do our our, our old man music podcast. <laughs> right. We'll, we'll make that like a special uh, add-on that people can get if they want to hear us talk about music that none of them have heard of. <laughs> right. All right. Well, if you like that song, go check the the uh, music thread because uh, I'll post the video uh, there. So, well, anyway, all right. So back to poker. Uh, what did we learn today? We learned that you're uh, perfect, first of all. Yes, so, so shockingly so, and and <laughs> and we learned that we both still have some uh, some holes to fill and some some leaks to to take care of. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, you know, I mean, those guys love to beat us up, but I, everyone has leaks. It's 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 fine. It's part of the game. Um, you know that's that hand was an example of what exactly what I was talking about earlier on about you know just kind of thinking through hands and if i if I had stopped to really think through what this guy has as opposed to just kind of being on autopilot and saying, "I have top pair, um I want to get to showdown um and I have a good enough hand that that I could actually shove over him if he raises you know I, if I had thought about what he likely has and what he'd likely call him the best way to get value, I probably would have figured out exactly what they said, but I didn't. Um, right. So that's an example of what I was talking about with the studying and where I just need to get better. I, I'd rather play less tables and really think through every hand right now just so that mm-hmm. I become a better player. Um, but I think I think from what we learned there, um, you know, when playing in the early stages of the anti-period, you know, we learned that we kind of want to, you know, we don't want to put a good part of our stack in and then end up folding first of all i think that's one thing we learned when we're in that like if we're if we didn't make it there with a the big stack um we don't want to play 30 big blinds and down to 10 big blinds without getting any equity at the end of the hand in our in right hand. Yeah, i think that's one thing we learned i mean i think a lot of people know how to play this level um 
that have been playing for a while. But, you know, to the point that I made earlier, there's very little form activity on this on this level. So I'm not sure if people just think they're great at it or or, or they don't really notice the leaks, but um, there's people aren't asking a lot of questions about it, which is kind of surprising to me because it's an important phase. Yeah, I think I think a lot of times this this stage of the tournament a lot of times becomes a little bit of a like just a push fold stage. Yeah. Where it's kinda like, you know, I have like twenty five bigs, if somebody raises I'll just jam, or I have eighteen and if I if I have a hand I'll just jam. But I think there's a lot more poker to be played than than that, especially if you've built up any kind of a stack going into this phase. Right. Um and it was you know, one thing that I always find interesting with, with talking to Casey is that he is just sort of always putting chips in the pot. Like he's just yeah. always building a pot and getting yeah. more chips with, with hands where he is very likely ahead. And I think a lot of times you and I both and probably a lot of people tend to try to get tricky, like oh, I'll check the turn and, yep. and and see if I can get him to fire on the river. Or Whereas Casey's just like, you know, bet, 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 you know, always yeah. be putting chips in, you know? Yeah, he's like, I think I have the best hand now, so I think I'm going to bet. Like, he just, yeah. if he thinks he has the best hand, he's going to build the pot, even though there are cards that could come to, to to beat him. He still wants to build a pot. He's always building pot. I mean, you're right, he's always building pots. And then when he's right, that's how that's how you get those giant stacks, I think, that he always ends up with. And that's how you yeah. can be in the top ten, you know, during getting to the money as opposed to, you know, getting to the money just under the average or something, you know? Right. Yeah, I think you just have to spend a little less time trying to figure out how to get all the chips in or how to trap somebody and just getting that extra 1,200 or 1,500 chips at this stage is huge. You know, it gives you more ammunition to work with on the next hand. Well, if you put – because especially since if you do something on the turn, then you compound how much you can get on the river. Right. And I think, you know, those guys made an interesting point on how – with ace eight hand, that guy would have folded on the turn probably, and I would have won that whole pop to myself. Yeah, from a yeah, I think you're right. How, how much aggression is important, but I just think equally important is understanding, um, you know, the fact that you're gonna, you know, the blinds are raising. You can't sit on a thirty big blind stack forever. Um, you have to be willing to make some moves and get stuff started, even at that level. And 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 I think Casey misunderstood me at first. I didn't say I want you know I think you should be constantly aggressive. I mean especially with a bigger stack. I don't think you should be you know pushing every hand. But I I, I do think and I, and I think they agreed that you know you don't want to sit idly by at the 250 level when all of a sudden it's the 600 level or the 800 level and now you've got 16 big blinds. Right. You know and I I know I found that I've I've been a little bit guilty of that. That's another thing about massively multi-tabling is that you're like, okay, well, I got 30 big blinds in this one, and I got 30 big blinds in this one, I got 30 big blinds in this one, so you feel like okay in those because you have nine tables going, but then 20 minutes later, all those 30 big blind stacks are now 15. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's an easy trap to fall into. I also I also found it kind of cool to hear Twist sort of talk about the, the ranges and what he's doing with different hands, and I think it, it kind of relates back to the to the concept of, of studying and looking back at hands and saying, okay, if, you know, I'm, I'm doing this with queens, but if I had had jacks, what would I have done differently? You know, I'm doing this with ace-queen, but what if I had ace-jack? Right, um, right, right, right. And, you know, I think you have to think about those things on the fly, but I also think when you look back at hands, you don't just have to think, oh, well, I, ha- I have ace-queen here, so here's what I have to do, but you should ask yourself questions like, okay, well, what if I had this or what if I had that? Right, yep. Um, and it, it's a really good way to, to kind of go over your hands and, and put yourself into different scenarios, and it helps you figure out those cutoff points, you know? Yep. Yeah, well, that's because you're not going to be in the same position 
um, right. with, with the same hand next time around. But if you had thought through what you would do with, you know, Queen Jack as opposed to Ace Jack, then you will be more, more prepared for it next time around. Yeah. Cool. Right on. So let's talk a little bit about what uh, what's happening on Tournament Poker Edge. Cool. Um, well, we just released. Um, we're just we're in the middle of some new videos. Uh, obviously, as we always are. Um, we have Ween. Um, I actually I, I mentioned I, I went over a hand history with Ween. Um, I got him to do a hand history review for me, and we decided to record it for the site. Um, actually, record he and I doing the hand history review so that you guys can get a sort of a sneak peek into how a pro does a hand history review. Um, and then I can ask him questions. I asked a lot of questions that even if I kind of knew the answer, I thought might be useful to the member population, um, things you might be wondering about. And there was a lot of stuff I didn't know the answer to, so that was that was helpful for me. Uh, so we got that going on. Um, we just finished a bankroll builder um, series with Cougars. Um, he was uh, able to... Um, play some step satellites and we call them bankroll builders because you don't have to play steps just to make it to another tournament. You can play steps, uh, well, or to the, like the big NEPT or world series or whatever. You can play steps up to two sixteen tournaments and then you get the tournament money in your account. So, um, so we call those bankroll builders, and so that's pretty neat. Um, we had a couple of videos just go off on multi-entry week. Um, Hag, Hag, uh, Hagbard had a series. Twist had a series. Um, we actually have a series from Big Dog during multi-entry week. Um, but before that, we're going to actually get this. I don't even know if I told you this. Uh, Big Dog recorded a bankroll builder series on the 45s, um, the 45-mans, uh, and we're going to put that up first because he did it. By request in the chat room, a lot of people were asking him about it. Uh, oh, nice! So he That'll did it right great. on the spot, and that's going to be his next video that goes up, and that's going to be in the next couple of days. So, uh, so that should be interesting. And I know he used to crush sit and goes on AP. So um, before he moved to crushing multi-table tournaments, so um, and it's a little different. The forty-five is a little different than the, sit, the nine minutes and goes, but I know he played those as well. So yeah, that'll be really interesting to watch those videos for sure. Yep. Yep. And so. Uh, that's, for the most part, what's going on. Cool. Yeah, we also uh, just put up a new article. A guy by the name of Jamie Glazier was nice enough to, to give us an article, and he's he's a mental game coach. He works with Joe Hatcham and a bunch of other big pros, and uh, and he wrote a really interesting article just about, basically about your mindset uh, and directly related to poker and, and to MTT play. Uh, so make sure and stop by the site and check that out. Um, you can also uh, check out his website, and he was nice enough to offer up a discount to TPE members. So if you're a member and you want to go over and check that out, um, the uh, website is listed there with the article. So That's funny. I didn't know he was Joe Hashem's coach. I've actually noticed a difference in Joe Hashem. Like on broadcast, I mean, I know it's not the be all end all, and I'm, I don't know if he's a you know a jerk in other places, but I recall he used to be kind of a whiny guy, and and seems like in his last couple of televised podcast uh, shows, he's had a much better out attitude. Hey, maybe it's working from this guy. I don't know. Yeah, might be related. I know I was doing some reading um, on the guy's site, and uh, and some of the guys that he's working with um, were just like crushing at the Aussie Millions and, and and other tournaments like that. So. Um, you know, I think there's there's something to it, and and having a good positive mental outlook uh, is important for Absolutely. any job, you know, and, and especially one where you tend to go through so many you know bad streaks as you do in poker. So, yep. Yep. Um, so well, yeah, it's it's worth reading, and and I think we'll have some more some more articles from Jamie in the future. So uh, keep an eye out for those. Cool. All right. Well, another uh, 
Another podcast in the books. Thank you, buddy. Yep, thanks to you, and uh, hopefully you can turn your uh, your downswing around. I know you will. It's just a matter of when, so yep. enjoy your week of study. Thank and, you, sir. Uh, and we'll see you back crushing at the tables real soon. All right. See you later, everyone. All right. All thanks right. again, everybody. We'll see you Bye. next time on the Tournament Poker Edge Podcast. Bye. See ya. Everybody, everybody knows she can't read a mouth. Oh, good thing.